Welcome, investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. Hey, before we uh, wrap it up, let's. Um, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about your latest research with Berkowitz, is his name? David, David Berkowitz? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, for my book, Why We Love Serial Killers, The Curious Appeal of the World's Most Savage Murderers, he was one of the key people that I interviewed for the book. And the reason that I, I, I extensively interviewed him, and I also did an extensive amount of research on Dennis Rader, BTK. So my book is just chock full of anecdotes and stories about these individuals. You know, one of the things that's so fascinating about David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, is at one level, he almost personifies evil in our society. I mean, he, he held New York City in his hand in a, in a grip of terror in the summer of 1977. It became known as the Summer of Sam. In fact, Spike Lee made a, a movie about it. And he has just gone down as, you know, as this legendary evil you know, in, individual to this very day. If you have, you know, if you talk to people of the right age who were alive at that time, they still get shudders when, you know, when you talk about the, the son of Sam. But interestingly, he and you can, you know, this files under truth is stranger than fiction. He has remorphed himself now or he has reinvented himself. He is now calls himself the son of hope. He has experienced behind bars what he uh, calls a Christian rebirth. And he has written a book about his adventures as the son of hope. And he's become actually a em, embraced and a darling of the evangelical Christian community who see him as a source of hope and redemption. He has a, a website now that's operated by evangelical Christians that reaches millions of people around the world. And I had the opportunity to spend a day with him at Sullivan Correctional Facility a few years ago. And I spent an afternoon with this son of hope, formerly son of, son of Sam. And it was an incredible, absolutely incredible experience because in many ways, I felt like I was with someone who was not this frightening, diabolical character like we remember from photographs and so forth. He has transformed into something that looks almost like a backyard gnome. He's, he's a short guy with a bald head and big rosy cheeks and a smile and, and sparkling eyes. And he came running into the cafeteria to meet me, put me in a big hug, and then said, let's say the Lord's Prayer together. And my my mind was spinning as this entire experience was taking place. And over the next several hours, he took me on this odyssey, emotional odyssey, where he described his remorse and his contrition and for all the things that he had done and his desire to, you know, to do good. And it, it actually took me back because who am I to say, you know, I have a PhD, but it's not in Christian rebirth, you know, and transformation. I don't have the tools to evaluate that. And here's this guy sitting in front of me that now apparently millions of people around the world find as a source of inspiration and hope. So who am I to say, you know, who, who am I to say? Yeah. So it was rather one of the rather interesting, most interesting experiences of my life. And, you know, I walked away, you know, and I, and I tried to this day have an open mind, you know, is it, is it possible 
that he has found behind bars what he had always been looking for, and that is his purpose in his life and to do something for a higher authority. Once it was Satan, now it's God. Maybe it's true. Or the cynic in me says, maybe he's entirely full of shit. Maybe he's making this up. You know, maybe maybe it's all just uh, BS. I suspect reality is somewhere in the middle. You know, uh, I believe that he believes it, you know, yeah. and if millions of people, if millions of people are actually claiming that they're getting a source of peace, hope and inspiration from this, let him do it. He's going to be in yeah. prison for the rest of his life. He's not going anywhere. You know, let him do it. So I don't know. I left I left there with, I guess, an open mind. And if Son of Hope is doing good things, let him do it as long as he remains behind bars. Let him, you know, let him continue. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I can personally attest that God can change lives. And, mm-hmm. you know, finding a higher purpose than than just mankind and, you know, being physically on this earth. To me, that's that's where a lot of the hope that people lose in society is happening. There's I've I've seen a number of graphs that it shows the decline in church attendance and religious affiliation and those kind of things and the increase in crime and even just just mean acts you know where people are just less cordial and less social you know they there's a direct relation between those two and I, i i happen to agree with you i i believe that we are as as humans are spiritual individuals by our spiritual entities by nature looking for something to believe in and it can go to the good you know it can go to the light or, or it can go to the darkness so that's why i say i i left there with an with an open mind because berkowitz was once led into the darkness and he said i was a very evil man and he says behind bars he's been led in into the light so you know acts actions speak louder than words and if he truly is having this effect on people and it's causing comfort and hope for people that's why i say you know let him continue to do it you know um oh, absolutely you know yeah. so um i find it really interesting and and as as you bring this up you know there there's a lot of people in society today that i think and frankly some of the scientists especially like gain of function research, things like that. It's to me, it's almost psychotic behavior because they are putting themselves in the place of a higher power and doing things that in my mind, God never intended. And, you know, whether, whether people in the audience believe in God or believe in a higher power to me, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter as much as if you look at, and again, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, totally versed in this, but I see a relationship between the number of people that are pushing away from, from a higher being and a higher purpose and looking more inward as, and people, it seems that the more they study and the higher in advanced degrees they get, the more narrow their focus becomes on how they, uh, how they view life. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm explaining myself well, but no, you, you uh, are. And I mean, and, and again, let's let's put it in something tangible. I believe that the uptick that we've seen, the, the considerable uptick in mass public shootings is 
a manifestation of what you're describing. These are individuals who have lost all belief in anything. They're completely alienated from life, from the world, and from themselves. And as a result, what are they doing? They're taking themselves out and they're taking as many other people out with them. So these are people who literally, by definition, have lost all belief. So I, I think yeah. that right you know, there is a very tangible example of exactly what you're describing. And where does that come from again? It comes from the environment, the, the social, political, cultural context that we live in right now. Yeah, absolutely well said. That's, it's one of those things that I, I think the further people push away a higher being and a higher purpose, and it, in my opinion, that's God, and which, which gives this life here on this earth purpose to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're here more than just to have this earthly experience. And the more people do that, the more they're, they are willing to do things that are on the fringes and which, which may be something like, uh, you know, performing surgeries that are just insane to doing research that's insane to, you know, deciding that life just isn't worth living anymore. And which is another really big topic of the the way people, especially men, especially young men are being almost ignored by, especially by the opposite sex. And it seems that, I don't know what the stat is though, but it, it's, uh, they say that like 80% of the young men that go into a bar never interact with anyone from the, uh, any female when they go into a bar, they're completely ignored. And so this 80% is falling completely victim to the 20% that are getting all the attention. And as you know, most men, they'll crawl over crushed glass to uh, get the attention of the fairer sex. And when they're completely ignored, you know, then a lot of times they'll just look at it and they'll eventually something will snap and they'll say, it's not worth being here. I'm going to do something to get attention. And if that requires me going out and shooting a bunch of people and, you know, going into a nightclub and, and shooting it up in order to get somebody's attention. And like he said, make a name for themselves that will be known throughout society, then that's what they do. And part of it is, is environmentally, environmentally driven. Some of it's wired into them, but I think just the way this society is kind of moving toward almost promoting narcissism and promoting Again, that that divide, it's a dangerous combination. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting point. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought there's, yes, I think that uh, there's so much happening in the, in the sociological world and through a sociological lens that helps to explain what's happening, which is, by, by the way, I'm a criminologist, but my PhD is in sociology with a concentration in criminology. So I tend to look at things at a macro level, as opposed to the sort of the idiosyncratic pathological level of one individual, I look at what's happening in society in general, and then try to understand the patterns that emerge from that. And so as we look at a lot of this pathological individual acts, when you look at the environment itself, the social context, you can say, well, of course, this is going to happen. Look, you, you know, look at the environment. Of course, you're going to have these individual pathological acts. How could you not given the social context that we live in? Yeah. So last question for you. In the context of what we've been talking about, when you think about your specialty and and the areas that you've focused on, you know, especially serial killings, is the fatuation, 
the infatuation with true crime, with serial killings in general, is that feeding the beast? Is it promoting more of it? Or do you think that's a factor? You know, this could be a topic for an entire discussion in itself. The, the, the fascination with true crime generally and serial killers specifically is a multifaceted thing. And there's a bit of it that's like looking into the abyss or the phenomenon of rubber necking on the road. You know, there's an accident. I got to look at it. You know, it's so compelling. I've got to look at it. Um, there, there's some of that that's, that's, that's going on with, you know, particularly serial killers. It's just so over the top and inconceivable that it draws my attention. But there, there's also a cathartic, I think, a cathartic effect of it, particularly for women. And as you and I have discussed, interestingly, and I don't know if the audience knows this, but about 80% of the true crime audience watching the TV shows on Oxygen, Investigation, Discovery, and A&E, as well as listening to podcasts, it's women, 80% women. And I think a lot of the attraction for women comes out of empathy, once again. Empathy to the extent that they identify with the victims in these stories because more often than not, they're other women, but then also the empathy and the need to understand the perpetrator who typically is male and a desire to shield themselves, to protect themselves, to be safe from that predator. I've had so many women tell me their greatest fear is being abducted, apprehended, attacked by the unknown predator. Tremendous fear for women. So why do they watch these shows? Is they want to learn how to protect themselves. They want to be safe. They identify with the women in these stories. And if you notice, the typical template for these true crime shows, 48 Hours, as well as the shows on investigation, discovery, etc., it starts with a terrible crime, an abduction of a murder, almost always a woman, then for the next 50 minutes, they take you on this terrifying odyssey trying to find the perpetrator. And then in the last 10 minutes, they identify the individual, they're apprehended, they go to prison, truth and justice prevails. So the female audience can say, oh, oh my God, it's we're safe. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're safe again. And the programmers of these shows know that. They know that. And they, they have told me, because I've been on a lot of these shows and they tell me our desire and our goal is to make our female audience feel safe by the end of the hour. And so these shows serve that purpose. They scare the hell out of the audience, but then you always feel safe by, you know, by the time it, it's over. And so the empathy aspect of it, I think, is particularly powerful for women who wants to date or marry the next Ted Bundy, right? Nobody does, right? You know, right. for that matter, who wants to give birth to the next Ted Bundy? Nobody does, right? <laughs> so women, women are looking to this to educate themselves and also sort for a catharsis to an outlet for their fears. You know, I can I can experience the fear and then I can let it go. And as I mentioned to you, Jared, I just got off the road. I had a one-man show called The Psychology of Serial Killers and Why They Captivate Us that I took around the country, 14 major cities over a 20-night odyssey. And we were in cities like Dallas and Houston and Philadelphia and Chicago. Everywhere I went, the audience was 80% female and it was 80% women. It was almost like girls' night out. And they were there to engage and to 
exercise these emotions together. It was like a sisterhood. It was like a, a collective, a, a sisterhood. And it was just a fascinating experience to look at and, and to observe the true crime audience real time and also to get direct feedback on a lot of my ideas and concepts that I've been writing about for a long time. It was just an amazing experience. But 80% women everywhere I went. Wow. That's so fascinating. Yeah. Like you said, that's an entire another show there to delve into that one. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so, I mean, to answer your question, is it good or is it bad? I think it's just, it's a reflection of the times, you know, it's a reflection of what we have. True crime has always been out there. It's taken different forms. My grandfather was a true crime fan, but he was reading those pulp magazines, you know, back in the 1940s, mm. you know, 1950s. It's now high production value on the biggest networks, the biggest screens, the biggest platforms in the world. So it's sort of come out of the shadows. It's not the, you know, seedy thing that it once was. And it's much more acceptable to say now that I'm a true crime fan, that I like yeah. this stuff. So I think it, it serves actually an educational and a cathartic value. It's interesting, as you were describing that, you know, the, that whole cycle that the TV shows do. It's like what popped into my head was Jaws. Yeah. I and mean, you, yeah. you think about, you know, Jaws, that, that's, I, I don't know how many people were comfortable with going into the ocean prior to that movie, but that had such a psychological effect on people that it, there's a it, lot of people like, especially me. I mean, I grew up in the mountains of Idaho. It's like, I'm not going to the beach. Are you crazy? That's and right. Yet, you know, but at the end, they killed the shark and, you know, he went down and uh, after getting blown up, but there's always the factor that there's another one out there. Mm -hmm. and so there's like an endless number of shows that they could create and all and tap into that fear and you would hope that there's more killer sharks out there than there are killer people but i don't think so well it's very apropos maybe that we end end on this because i actually talk about this in my show and i've used this reference many times is that i believe that a serial killer like jeffrey dahmer is actually in many ways very much like a great white shark and they share at least three things in common. They are both rare, exotic, and deadly. In addition, the odds of being killed by either a serial killer or a great white shark are very similar. And that is, and I've done the math, it's about 150 million to one. Those are the odds of being killed by either a serial killer or a great white shark. In fact, it's more likely that you will die as a result of a soft drink vending machine falling on top of you and crushing you <laughs> than to be killed by a serial killer or a great white shark. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, that's, that's a great point to add on or to uh, end on because, you know, serial killers, especially, and I would include mass shootings and everything else in there. It's, you know, there's so many stats that when you actually get into them, like for example, the, the odds of you getting killed by a police officer being if you are unarmed and non-aggressive toward a police officer, you have a better chance of getting of dying from a bee or a, a wasp sting than dying from a from a police officer. So yeah, it's, you put it's, it, it's the imagery, you know, it's the horrific mm -hmm. imagery that we see that becomes so indelible. What is more horrific than Jeffrey Dahmer eating people? What is more horrific than a great white shark with these giant jaws? It's the yeah. imagery. This is the stuff that sticks with us. And like you say, you know, the mind is, does, doesn't do it logically. It's like, well, there's more of them out there. I know there's more of them out there and I'm going to be the next victim. You know, <laughs> no, no, no. The, the odds are 150 million other people will be before you. But 
you know. Right. Yeah, half of America, half of America would have to get eaten by a great white shark before (laughs) the chances are you will, you will be the next one. Exactly. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, like you said, yeah, the the chance you getting struck by lightning, dying in a car crash, those kind of things are so much more fatal. So much more likely. I mean, it's, I hate, you know, yeah. the odds of, of dying in a fatal car crash are, are like one in 50,000. Well, that's way more likely than one in 150 million. Oh, yeah. There, there's play the odds, folks. Play yeah, the odds. Exactly. Oh. Hopefully we've done a little public service here today, Jared, and, and alleviated <laughs> some fears. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, Scott, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, but for those of you out there that are listening or, or watching us on YouTube, again, please subscribe. Please watch more episodes, share it with your friends, but definitely go and visit Dr. Scott Bond. He has all sorts of ways to connect with him and to hear his stories. He's on LinkedIn. He's got a website. DocBond.com. Yep. Doc also, Bond. The Killing DLC. Hour with Doc Bond is my podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I apologize not mentioning your podcast. Say that podcast again. The Killing Hour with Doc Bond. And it's available on you know all the major platforms. And and you uh, you release episodes every Wednesday, if I, if I yeah, read that. Yeah, correctly. we've been on a little bit of a hiatus while I was traveling. But yeah, there's a whole well, shame bank. on you. What are you doing? <laughs> there's a whole Get bank work, of Scott. episodes there, a whole <laughs> bank of episodes on there about in depth in particular, David Berkowitz and Dennis Rader and my adventures with those two guys, if you will. So yeah, there's lots of episodes to listen to. Oh, that's fantastic. And I definitely recommend these two books just sound so interesting. Why We Love Serial Killers, The Curious Appeal of the World's Most Savage Murders. And this one also, Mass Deception, Moral Panic, and the U.S. War on Iraq. That whole, boy, there's all sorts of things that... um, create, you know, I, I think that's that exact same thing is happening right now with Ukraine. You know, yeah, well, you know, this- we, um, you know, again, we didn't really get into this, but I have a background in the media. I actually spent 22 years of my career, my, uh, the first years of my professional life in the media world. So I tend to look at, use the media lens and, and how that affects things, you know, whether it's creating boogeymen out of serial killers or the, you know, rationale for war or, you know, whatever. The media is a powerful, you know, powerful tool. Back to technology again. It's a, you know, it's yeah. media is not neither good or bad, it, but it can be used for either good or bad purposes. Oh, but the people that are pushing it behind, you know, pushing the fear behind, especially news and the stuff like that, is just yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. You know, I yeah. I couldn't agree with I, you I more. Think they, they they would be classic psychotics. <laughs> well, unfortunately, there's an old journalistic term that goes: if it bleeds, it leads, and the mm-hmm. more sensationalized it is, the more people will tune in. And ultimately, it's a business. It's about selling advertising. And the more eyeballs you have on the screen or ears listening in, the more advertising revenue you're going to get. You know, so it's a cold, it's an amoral business. I, w- I don't want to say necessarily immoral, but it's at least an, you know, an amoral sort of thing. So, uh, but oh, yeah, sure. media, media is an important consideration in all of this, without a doubt. Well, let's have you back on again and we can we can delve into that side of it because, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think we've explored a little bit about the serial killer side, but, you know, the mass deception to me is another just fascinating topic that I'd love to pick your brain on. So super. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Scott Bond. Scott, I definitely appreciate you coming on. Boy, it's just fascinating discussion. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Jared. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, of course. Okay. We will talk at you later then. Thanks for joining us. 
Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.